You're listening to Travel Tales with Virgil. Hello, Virgil O'Keefe here and you're very welcome to the podcast. We can't physically travel right now, but there's nothing to stop us armchair travelling and hearing great travel stories. Today, we continue now with the Travel Insider series with Holly Rubinstein. This episode really feels the travel wanderlust as she gives the inside scoop on daydream-worthy hidden gems. Holly talks about her love of travel, market trends and her favourite destinations. Hi Holly, you're very welcome to the podcast. First of all, I want to say that you are actually the inspiration. I've said this many times on my own podcast. During the first lockdown in Ireland back in March, I was doing my daily walk down by the river. I was listening to news podcasts, and but I was listening about Trump and COVID. And one day I went, God, there must be nice things to listen to. And I, I just typed in travel and up popped yours, travel diaries. And I have been listening to it ever since. Um, you, it really gives you wanderlust. It is so positive and you have amazing guests. So thank you so much. You inspired me. Oh, I'm so touched and I'm so pleased that it gave you a bit of escape from all the doom and gloom. Yeah, because I was surrounded by beauty. So I didn't really want to be listening to stuff about Trump anymore. You know, it was gorgeous <laughs> yeah. place in Tipperary. So yeah. tell me about where it is that all the beauty you're surrounded by. Well, I mean, I'm very lucky. So here in Clamel, we're, we're surrounded by the Cumras and we've got Slevenamon and the River Shore and there's a walk along there. So, I mean, it's spectacular. I mean, like on your like in your podcast, you know, you've had some amazing guests. I mean, I had an article that just came out today, actually, in a newspaper. And it's funny. It's ridiculous because in I, I'm talking about individual episodes and in the actual article, it says this is my favorite one about each one. And it's actually true. So do you find that that you love every episode? They're like kids. You know, you don't want to say which one's your favorite, but you love them for different yeah. reasons. Yeah, definitely. I think that what's really great about travel is that everyone's choices are different and, and, and it all, all always connects back to something that's beyond just the destination, something that's much more human. And yeah, therefore, every individual story has its special special qualities it is like children like you say it's really hard to pick a favorite people have asked me that if you're going to ask me that as well it's I probably pick a different favorite each time you ask me but that's the same with travel destinations too right exactly you're right you love them for different reasons that that's very true um was there any destinations that people mentioned you know is like I've, I've noticed that there's certain destinations that everybody if they've been there they like to talk about mm. or they want to go is there anywhere particular Oh, well, you probably noticed that I'd say that Japan is the place that's mentioned the most. I'm the same. Um, I think that there's, and I've not been, so that has definitely made me start planning a trip for next year to go to Japan, hopefully to do a destination special from there, actually. Because what the, I don't know if you have the same thing, but the running theme, it seems, is that it feels like the place that is most foreign, if that makes sense. It, exactly. it, they also, you know, it's like going to somewhere that you've never experienced before. It's such a culture shock. And um, it just seems to leave such a lasting impression on, on people and, and always in a positive way. The people are great. The food is amazing. The culture is wonderful. And it's so memorable. So I would say Japan is enough. And actually, I'm surprised at um, how many people have 
said um, Antarctica as well. Okay. So it's been mentioned uh, five or six times already on the podcast and, you know, in just over a year, that's quite a lot of times for guests to pick Antarctica as a destination. It's funny, when I was actually asking you that question, the word Japan was in my head because yeah. I have exactly the same thing. And I went to Tokyo when I years ago for work and um, my favourite film is um, Lost in Translation. Yeah. It's actually my favourite movie because it literally yeah. could, it, it was literally like as if that was my weekend when I was in Japan. And I Jet lagged and not really know what, what's going on. Yeah, and doing the karaoke and it was just, I mean, literally, it was amazing how similar it was, but I love it for that. So it's gas that you said that, you know. Um, well, you know, if you listen to an episode from season one of The Travel Diaries um, with Peter Greenett from Lonely Planet magazine, he talks about how he went to Japan to recreate the whole of the Lost in Translation film. Wow. And he went with his wife because it's their favourite film as well. So they stayed at the park higher. They went to the karaoke bar that was in the film. And he goes through the whole itinerary of all the key places that are highlighted in the film and how they experience them. It's quite interesting to hear. Wow, that's gas. Oh, I have to listen to that one. That's one I haven't listened to. I yeah, mean, you had Tony Wheeler as well, didn't you? Who, yeah. Yeah. I mean, he was On amazing. On a rare trip over to the UK. Um, he lives in Australia. He comes so across really as a lovely lucky. person, doesn't he? Yeah, he's, I mean, what a life he's led. So Tony Wheeler is the founder of Lonely Planet. He founded it with his wife and they came up with that when they were doing a road trip in the car all the way from here, um, doing the hippie trail. And um, yeah, they've left such a lasting impression on travel, haven't they, for everyone? Yeah, like I put up a photo a few weeks ago on Instagram of um, my bookshelves. And it's just all rows and rows and rows of lonely planets. I still yeah. get them, you know, they're like yeah. a security blanket, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I always, yeah, I just love they're such a trusty, you know, um, it's, it's just not that long ago that they were all we had to rely on. Like my husband went uh, traveling around India um, after he graduated from university and we we're only in our only 30s and, you know, but at that time, we didn't have smartphones just just, you know, 10 years ago. We didn't have phones that could give us all the places to go or smart Google Maps. And every page was just so important. And it still is. I, I'm like you. I'm quite old school. Like I I like to have something with me in my hands. Exactly. And also with your phone. I mean, you know, sometimes it doesn't work or it goes dead or, you know, in yeah. your way. So or like it's really expensive to use it because you're. You're not and even just being able to read about the history of the place and things like that. It just, yeah. it's part of the trip, you know? It is, it's so part of the trip. I completely agree, yeah. Like when I'm flying over, you know, that's when I start. I start reading the history section about where I'm going to go and I save it for the flight over and things like that. You know what I mean? Uh, did your job, did that give you the love of travel or was it the love of travel that got you into that? No, it was the love of travel that got me into that. So my background actually isn't in travel, it's in entertainment. So I worked as um, like a red carpet reporter and celebrity interviewer for Reuters, the news agency and the BBC for about seven or eight years before I, I kind of side segued into travel. And it was because... Um, I was just absolutely obsessively always thinking about where we were going to go next and um, planning, 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 planning. I, I love travel planning. Exactly. And um, I, 
some, someone said to me, you know, why, why do you not write about travel exactly? And I, to be honest, it's a really competitive field. And so I, I just thought um, it was too competitive for me to try and get break into it. But I gave it a go. And I was just really lucky that I just that it worked for me and it just happened. And so now I combine both um, because I would say my expertise is in both in knowing what's going on in film and music and the arts. But also uh, I could probably tell you every hotel new opening that's coming up in the next year and um, what, you know, all the travel trends are. It's kind of what what feeds me. It's like it's an addiction <laughs> in a way. Um, yeah, and so, yeah, I, I now get to, to combine both loves, which is really a, a dream with the podcast. Oh, you know, I, I wouldn't say it's luck. It's because, you know, your love of travel and everything to do with it that comes true is that that positivity and he, you know you can see when somebody mentions something on your podcast where you haven't been you always go back to it and tell me more about that place and i must go there you know so yeah that's the, the, the key. my list of destinations to, that i want to visit just just grows and grows um i have a google maps on my phone that where i uh, save every destination that i want to go to um, in a, like a smart map and it's got over like 1800 saved places so I've got kind of a million lifetimes worth of travel that I want to get ahead of me <laughs> yeah I'm the same on my phone I've got on my notes I've just got hundreds of different notes like restaurants and like even I noticed I was doing um with Dawn Hindle a few weeks ago I was doing an interview with her in, in Ibiza and her mm-hmm. favorite restaurant was La Paloma and on my Ibiza notes, I've got, you know, I was supposed to go there last year and I couldn't go, but that was on my list to go to, you know. Right, funny. yeah. It's so, it's, I do think that um, firsthand recommendations and tips are the best. Exactly. They're, they're just, there's something really exciting about them, isn't it? When people tell you a place to go and, and bring it to life and then you have the opportunity to potentially go there like you're going to do when you go back to Ibiza. Yeah. yeah, there's something great about that. And um, you also do a really cool thing, bucket list, isn't it? Like like article. You must have met, yeah. some, met some really interesting people during that, did you? I, d- I have done, yeah. And to be honest, even before that, so the bucket list is what kind of predated my podcast. It's a similar concept um, that I was doing for Country and Townhouse magazine where I was interviewing people about their the, what would be at the top of their bucket list and the places that they'd like to go to. Um, I interviewed... Um, Serrano Fines and um, Dominic West and Hugh Bonneville, some really lovely people. And of course, they all have su- such different perspectives and takes on travel. To me, interviewing Serrano Fines, which also who I then interviewed for the podcast, was perhaps the most memorable though, because he's such an icon of travel and hearing his tales of crossing through Antarctica. Arctica on his own in these bleak conditions and falling through a crevasse and then having to cut off his fingers you know when he got home and you know the absolute in a way madness of it all if I'm honest I was listening to it thinking how how is this something that you want to do how is this enjoyable but it's what feeds him and he's just done the most extraordinary thing so I would say that that 
was actually something that inspired my podcast because I was doing this column and then I thought hold on there, there isn't a podcast about this and and that and he was my first interview that I recorded so wow. that one will always go down and for me as a memorable one and, and another, a good one to start with. And another one it. actually just now that you're saying that that really stands out for me is a uh, uh, Michael Palin because uh, you oh. know when, when I was growing up to watch his show took two years off traveling and we went through South America and I was halfway through it that I realized I was essentially following his route through South America you know oh. I was on Lake Titicaca and I went I'm actually following Michael Palin's route and I didn't even know I was doing it I mean how amazing what a wonderful opportunity to be honest that if, if you were to ask me for my standout episode for me from a personal point of view for recording it for the travel diaries it would be Michael Palin because um he actually insisted that we did the interview in person and I was organizing that during lockdown the first lockdown when we really didn't know what was going on and so um, I was waiting and waiting and waiting for lockdown to ease so that I could go to his house um, in London and um, eventually we were able to make it happen and the fact that someone who's such a legend invited me into his home you know with his wife and I sat upstairs in his which has become quite iconic his library because he often does interviews from there on the tv he's it's this huge room just literally lined with books half of which it looked like he'd written and to hear him recount you know he's been to um there are only a handful of countries in the world that he's not been to. It is quite extraordinary. I mean, it's same with Tony Wheeler, but Michael Palin, I think even more, there was literally only a few that he hadn't visited. And so actually it was quite intimidating because you just don't know where to start. I wanted to ask him about every country that he'd been to. So yeah. you could do it 10 times over, couldn't you? Interviewing him about travel and his one. I, I grew up watching his documentaries too. They're, they really are wonderful, aren't they? You know what I found really interesting actually was him talking about when he was young and about his first skiing trip within school because I'd never you know so it was, it was very new that stuff so yeah. I really found that fascinating you know. Oh, yeah I mean I, I I appreciated how honest he was about everything Um, I, I, I was really fascinated about North Korea. I'd watched the documentary that he that was on Channel 5 here in England but um I mean, it's like one of those far, you know, so exotic, it's so far away. I'm never going to go there probably. So it was really great to listen to him bring a place like that to life because it's just nothing more exciting. Just something I was, you know, I was thinking about, as you said, you've got so many stories yourself and something that I haven't asked anyone else, but I could do a podcast series myself about um, times that when I've been traveling where, I was afraid or a little bit nervous. I'll give you an example just to give you an idea and sort of thing that I was talking about was one time I was in Varnasi in India with Emer, my wife, my partner, you know, she were dating at the time. That was on that two year trip. And I was taking a photo of her with the Ganges in the background. And these Indians came up to us and um, started screaming at us and tried to grab my camera and yeah. chased us through the town. And the crowd was getting bigger. And eventually I realized, OK, I got to stop. So I just stopped and they came up to me and I just had to scream at them to uh, F off. And the mad thing is what I learned in India, it's terrible. But in India, it, there's so many people and it's so like active that you, you kind of have to do that. Sometimes you have to yeah. literally be really tough with people. So when I did that, they all cleared off. But I was very nervous and I just I could tell you a million stories. I was just wondering 
did you ever have anything like that in your when your travels were oh yeah yeah definitely I'm trying to think about which one to, to tell you about <laughs> yeah. um well most recently oh I've had two bad things most recently I'll tell you about one that happened when I was in California um last year I was in uh, Big Sur which is on the Pacific Coast Highway staying in um uh, a hotel there looking out over the Pacific um, it was quite it's quite lush and tropical there in a way it gets a lot of rain um, as well and um, I was sitting on a deck chair outside my hotel room and I suddenly felt this like intense pain in my hip and I looked down and it had instantly started to bruise and go red and I saw two marks in the middle. And having spent a lot of my childhood in Florida where there are spiders and having had a spider bite in the past, I knew exactly when I saw it that it was a spider bite. Now, to make things worse, I'm extremely arachnophobic. So the kind of, I didn't see anything, but the, uh, the, no, the notion of it happening to me was, kind of added to it and I looked at it and it started to spread and I thought oh dear this doesn't this this doesn't look very good like it's really made quite a, a big impression on my body and um I thought right right well I'll just, I'll just get on with my day and see and see how it is and I started to feel really weird and um it started to get worse and spread and so we went to a um like a, a, a clinic, a walk-in clinic type thing to have it looked at. And I said, look, I don't want to know what it is. I'm arachnophobic. I don't want to know what it is. Just tell me like what I need to do. And they drew a circle around the edge of the bite. And they said, if it spreads beyond this, then you need to go to the hospital immediately. And if it doesn't, then, then, then you're okay. Um, and then my husband went in and talked to them because I didn't want to know what it was. And, um, and it didn't spread beyond those lines. Um, and it wasn't until we got back to England that Alex, my husband, said, you know, it was a black widow bite. Oh, my God. So you're a tough chick. <laughs> because I, yeah, I've quite, I generally consider myself to be, like, not especially robust when it comes to anything uh, health-wise or travel. But, yeah, it was a black widow bite. So yeah, that was a, a scary experience. And when he told me, I literally couldn't believe it and just was like blew my mind so yeah that was one memorable um scary experience I would say <laughs> yeah you don't want that oh my god spiders you better that was a good call not to tell you till you went home <laughs> yeah definitely definitely and something I'm sure is the same for um Brits as Irish people that were everywhere in the world I could be in the most middle of nowhere where there's literally one mother person but you'll always bump into an Irish person has there been, where's the most unusual person you ever bumped, you know, you bumped into an, an English person? In Ireland, it's usually oh. someone you know. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, I, I mean, I had the weirdest um, experience. I was traveling in the Pacific Northwest and um, did a day excursion, getting up really early from Banff, in, so this is in Canada, um, to take a trip to the Athabasca Snow Glacier which is um, so you get on a massive snowmobile and drive up into this vast white glacier in the middle of nowhere, like two hours from the nearest city. 
and um, I, I got out onto the glacier itself and I saw a, a teacher of mine from school from Surrey in England. Wow. I mean, the odds of that, I just can't even imagine. So yeah, spotted in very weird and remote places. Isn't it odd how these things happen? Oh, I, I remember um, I was in Nepal with Emer and we were doing the Annapurna circuit. Mm -hmm. It's a big, it's like a 20 day walk. And we were in this hut, we were snowed in. And we were in this hut and there was a big group of people and there was one other Irish person there. And she said, where are you from? And I said, Claire. And she goes, uh, would you know Eva O'Keefe? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, she's my sister. <laughs> she was she had been in she was in college with my sister and I mean you're just going what are the odds you know it's so odd isn't it I also remember being in Kenya uh, by Lake Navasha in a safari lodge and um, there were only six people staying in the whole lodge and one of them was somebody who went to the girls school down the road from me when I was still at school I mean isn't it it's just so funny how enormous our world is but then how small it is as well it's I a know, cliche, isn't it? I know, it's true. Irish people were terrible when it comes to travelling in the UK. We, we go to the cities, particularly mm. London. Even myself, like I've been there many times. For my 30th birthday, I went to Cornwall. But yeah. what I'm wondering is, where would you recommend? I mean, we're really lucky. When you have this opportunity to discover what's on your doorstep, you realise how lucky you are. And I'm sure it's very much the case in Ireland yeah. as well. Cornwall is definitely a favourite of mine. Where did you go to for your birthday? What is the name of the main, what would the main village be? Sort of the cliched Cornwall. Well, there's St Ives and St Moors and Penzance and Truro and... Um, I can't think of, um, where would the, the surf town, where's the, where's the main surf town? Yuki. Yeah, Yuki there you go. <laughs> it was great. You, is that where you went? And yeah, did you like yeah. That? That's not like the most pretty part of Cornwall. Oh, I, I know, I know. Maybe that's why I blocked out the name. But I would say one place that I discovered recently actually was the North Cornwall coast. So I'd always gone to the Southwest, which is um, be absolutely beautiful. If for your listeners who haven't um, been to Cornwall, it's where I would absolutely recommend going uh, for your first trip. St. Ives, Padstow, Port Isaac, these quintessential Cornish seaside towns, uh, villages, absolutely beautiful, so historic, and um, also very tropical in their feeling. But North Cornwall, um, I was, recently was in a, an area called Bude, so that this is on the north coast, and um, the, the Jurassic uh, beaches were just remarkable. These um, huge, vast beaches with, um, rock formations that stretched right out into the sea, creating such a dramatic landscape, um, much bigger, more deep beaches than other parts of Cornwall and um, some really great restaurants and such amazing fresh seafood. So um, that was my discovery actually um, from lockdown. That was where I went because I was meant to be in France. And so we did a last minute sojourn there instead and it was wonderful. Yeah. But I do think, you know, it's hard to recommend places of incredible natural beauty to people who are, who are listening in Ireland because you've got such incredible natural beauty on your doorstep. Yeah, but you know what? As you, I, I did go to the wrong spots because I didn't do my research properly that time. 
Um, but you're right, because like another one of your guests, Rick Steen, you know, around Padstow. Um, mm. Yeah, that's where I should have gone for the food, etc. You know? Oh, yeah, there's such good food in Padstow. And um, and also what's really exciting is that in Cornwall, a lot of um, chefs who would ordinarily think that they needed to be in London because London is, you know, the heart of everything in, in a lot of people's minds in England are now just thinking, actually, no, I'm going to go and be in this beautiful part of the world and with the best produce and um, set up my restaurant here. And so there's just this real um, uh, renaissance in, in a way of, of, of a real culinary scene there. And tell us, is food important for you when you go traveling? You know, mm. I mean, Rick Steen yeah. said that in your interview, didn't he? He said he wouldn't go, that was the most important thing, which I thought was interesting. Yeah, he wouldn't go somewhere unless it had great food. And, 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 and most of the chefs have said that, actually, that it, it's the food that comes first. For me, it wouldn't, I would never say that it was the food that dictated where I went. I'm more about the landscape and its kind of yeah. natural beauty, I would say, or its architecture that would make me choose to go somewhere. But so I've never chosen not to go somewhere because of its food. Same. Um, but certainly having great food is in it obviously heightens the experience and makes it even more memorable but I can't say that I've been anywhere that I found the food totally awful either if you had a summer house where would you put it in the UK hmm. that's a good question um I think that I'd put it in hmm, I mean summer house so it's and it's in the UK. Mm. Maybe I would put it in in Suffolk, on the Suffolk coast. So that's the east coast of England. It's got again beautiful beaches. There's some lovely towns like Old Brother that have um, great restaurants, really lovely boutique shops, and there are lovely beach huts on the beach, multicolored beach huts. Gets nice warm air down there on the east coast. Um, yeah, great pubs, great restaurants. I think that that's where I'd pick. Um, yeah, I mean, it's a really, that is a really nice place if you're visiting England and you have done some of the cities. Um, Suffolk is a really lovely place for a kind of um, boutique country getaway. And tell us what about the same question, but in Europe, if you're going to pick somewhere in Europe, where would you? Oh my gosh. See, I do this all the time in my so head. So <laughs> I did it the other day, actually, with with our friends on the phone. We were saying, you know, that we were saying five houses. So if you like between <laughs> us, if we if we all had a house, a that we like to timeshare, like at each one, where would we where would we do it? And I was the least decisive of them all. Just so, <laughs> you know. so um, the first place that comes to mind um, would be. I think um, a, a, a Greek island, yeah. I think. I'm not sure which, let's say, oh, I just don't know which, it's really hard to pick, but I would say I would say an island, somewhere that feels hot and tropical, maybe Mallorca actually, one of the Balearic islands, but then also I love mountains and um, being in the mountains in the summer, there's something particularly special about that, maybe somewhere in the, maybe somewhere like Innsbruck in the Tyrols, 
beautiful landscape, towering mountains, lovely wildflowers, fresh air. I mean, yeah. You actually want a couple of houses, don't you? That's the key. I do. <laughs> I really do, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, actually, just one place I would recommend is the Peloponnese Peninsula, the West oh, Coast. Yeah. Oh, I've can, never been. Oh, it is just, that's my favourite place in the world. And it yeah. is, it's because it's got the mountains and it's got the little villages, amazing food and beach. it's got everything. And it's like two hours, three hours drive from Athens, the West Coast, and it's just spectacular. So I'd, oh, definitely I'd love recommend there. I'd love to go there. There's one, um, not only is the landscape so wonderful there, having seen it in photos, there's one incredibly snazzy hotel that I dream of maybe being able to write about one day there, one of the Amman hotels that looks amazing. So yeah, one day, one day. And um, where, you, you mentioned that as well about hotels, like is there one <laughs> that jumps out in your head that is your favorite for whatever oh, reason <laughs> oh my god that's it's so hard um i would probably say that it's the rosewood miramar beach in montecito california which is near santa barbara the reason is that um a few days before we arrived there we were doing a, a road trip on the west coast um my husband and i decided to get married there Wow. So um, we decided, yeah, last minute to kind of elope on the beach wow. there. And I suppose for that reason, it will always have such a special place in my heart. And even if we hadn't done that there, it is one of the most beautiful locations of a hotel that I've ever been to. Santa Barbara is just um, a really special, romantic, majestic beachside town with a huge amount of Spanish heritage so it's got wonderful architecture and the Rosewood um, there it's it's such a, a quirky hotel because it has a train that runs uh, that runs through it from time to time an actual railway that is going up and down the the west coast and they have um, a, a, a railway crossing with a guard who, who wears a hat who sits at a in a um a little railway booth and oh, there's wow. just something so charming about it and it's got a beautiful beach so um i would um, i think that now that Meghan markle and prince harry have moved there and um, <laughs> literally up the road that it's probably completely out out of sight and hard to get into now because it's really put that that destination on the map montecito but for me, that hotel was really special. On your podcast last week, the Italian special, you mentioned a place called Ascona, oh, uh, yeah. Lake Maggiore. And yeah. just by coincidence, I follow one of my favourite writers is uh, William Del Rampel, who mm -hmm. um, is there at the moment. And he oh, has no. been putting up photos for the last few weeks. And it just looks amazing. Oh, yeah, that that is such a special place because Ascona is on Lake Maggiore, but it's actually in this tiny slither of the lake that belongs to Switzerland. And so you are actually in Switzerland when you're staying on this Italian lake and it combines both the um, Italian flair and character and pizza and Aperol with this kind of Swiss elegance and efficiency in this incredible way. And 
when you actually sit on the lake in Ascona and you look out and the the mountains are plunging into the water and the there are palms it it feels so um tropical you know it really does feel not especially European um so it's just a really and they have such a great microclimate there that they have um a, a very prominent uh, wine industry they have vineyards there and they have uh, they grow all kinds of things amazing flowers so yeah Scona is a great place and and really not on the radar yeah so, exactly because yeah. so the lake district can be quite packed you know with tourists so that's a good exactly. tip and mm. where do you fly into to go there for me now to... we flew into Milan okay so it was about uh, an hour and a half I would say from Milan excellent quite okay. easy that's definitely on my list. And another thing, another place you mentioned actually was Capri and you described it perfectly. You know, it has to be one of the most romantic places, isn't it, in the world? Oh, God, it tugs at my heartstrings just when you mention it. There's just something achingly romantic about Capri. And I would recommend that everyone in their lifetime tries to get there, even if it's just for a day trip, because it's something that you'll you'll never forget. And as you said, it can be it, it can be tied in with a trip on the Amalfi Coast, you know, uh, you mm -hmm. know, there's so much going on, you know, Positano or wherever all around there and even Naples. I, I went there and I just went straight, didn't go near Naples. So I'd love to go back because I'm sure Naples yeah. is amazing, too. Me know? too. I drove, we drove straight through Naples. And yet there's such a, a food scene there, obviously. And actually, if I was to go back there, I think I'd also really like to go to Ischia, which is the other island um, next to Capri, which is much more low key. Capri, for anyone who doesn't know that much about it, is very like glam. It's a bit how you imagine Cannes or Saint-Tropez, um, you know, and it's a great place for people watching. I've not been to Ischia, but I'd like to go because I think it is very similar in terms of its... Um, great views because it's just this promontory out of the water and looking back over um, Mount Vesuvius as well but also it's you know got lovely hotels and great food and lovely seaside villages so I think that is on my high on my list actually. Yeah exactly um, so my last question which I ask everybody is if you close your eyes and take four deep breaths and allow yourself to think of your happy place from your travels where would that be and why oh, such a good question i should say i often try and do this actually um to when i'm trying to meditate i often picture a place um i've been told that that is what one should do i have to admit it isn't the same place each time it does change um each each time for sure right now though when I'm freezing, wearing like three layers and the heating isn't help, heating up my flat and it's bleak and getting dark at four o'clock, I am picturing the Maldives. Um, I was there earlier this year, lucky to get there just before everything kicked off. And I'm picturing sitting on um, uh, in an overwater villa overlooking the endless Indian Ocean, turquoise, sparkling, clear water, the odd dolphin jumping past, the sun setting right beyond this infinite horizon. And I couldn't think of anywhere more relaxing and zen in, in my head right now. 
That sounds beautiful. You went there for your honeymoon, didn't you? Is that right? I did. Yeah, we, you know, we were so lucky to, to be able to go there just, just in, in time. We didn't have any clue what was going on aside from people that were on the plane where, you know, there were a few people who were wearing masks and we thought, oh, that's being a bit cautious. Little did we know. Um, so yeah, we were very lucky. And for a honeymoon destination, um, I know, I know, do you know what? I have to be honest. I never really thought that the Maldives was for me. I didn't think that I would be some, want to go somewhere where it was really kind of about like lounging around and doing not that much else. Uh, I'm more active um, and, and we had had a crazy year the year before and we just thought, no, we actually just want to relax. Of course. And, and it was, and it was wonderful. It you, is everything you hope it will be. And I was just blown away by the snorkeling and the fish. You know what's funny is, um, I can't remember who it was, but you were talking to somebody and they kind of trashed. Uh, they just. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Tony Wheeler. I so sensed you. Tony Wheeler. Yeah, yeah. He said a place he'd never go back to. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I think that Tony is a different kind of traveler to me. He is intrepid to the core. You know, whereas I'm very happy to like indulge in a bit of luxury and pampering if it's being offered to me. <laughs> of course. And, and it's, you know, like as in there's different traveling for different mood, you know, as I said, like I love um, hiking. I love nature, but I also love Ibiza. You know what I mean? So yeah, Ibiza is beautiful. I'd love to go back to Ibiza. People think of it as the party aisle, but actually, isn't the landscape just so gorgeous? Yeah, exactly. It is amazing. So I really appreciate it. Thanks so much for the time that you've given me and uh, keep up with the podcast. It's amazing for my walks. I'm waiting now for the next season. <laughs> <laughs> it's coming. It's coming. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's been such a pleasure to chat. I would really recommend people to listen to Holly's podcast, The Travel Diaries, and to follow her on Holly Rubenstein on Instagram. I hope you enjoyed my first Travel Insider Week with Paul and Holly this week and we'll have more of that next year in Season 2. I would ask if you could please subscribe to Apple Podcast so a new episode will appear in your library every week. I would also really appreciate if you could leave a rating and a review as it helps others to discover this podcast. To find out who's on every Tuesday, please follow me on Instagram and Facebook at Travel Tales with Fergal. Stay safe and keep dreaming of future travels. Travel Tales with Virgo.